We're going to read God's Word together. Uh, You've been reading the Word on your own? Every day, God wants you in His Word. I, I tell people all the time, it would be better for you to read two verses every day than to not read for days and all of a sudden read like nine chapters. That would be like, uh, it'd be better for you to have small meals daily than not to eat for weeks. And so get into the practice of reading daily. Now you won't want more than, you won't just want just two verses once you get into God's word, but uh, it'd be better to meditate on a couple of verses. Just savor them. So uh, speaking of a couple of verses, we've got two. Why don't you stand with me as we read the word together? God wants his word to come out of your mouth as much as mine. And so we've got two related to our study today. The first one in Psalm 95.1. Let's read it together. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. We're going to hear a lot today. God wants you to sing. Did you know that? That I'm not the singing kind. You're saved, you're going to be the singing kind. And you're going to really not love heaven if you don't like to sing. I can prove it. Uh, So, and aren't you glad he's the rock of our salvation? How many need a rock in your life? You know D.C.'s not our rock. You know Hollywood's not our rock. You know entertainment, all these things, business, those things, they're just a vapor, aren't they? We have something to sing about. And second passage in John 15, 20. Let's read it together. Remember the word I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. A servant. You know, we, um, we still call a lot of people in office public servants. Uh, but we know that many of them go into office and come out millionaires. We don't understand how that works, <laughs> given we actually know their salary. But Jesus called us to be different, to be servants, to really serve, serve him and serve one another. We're looking at that today. And we continue to pray for revival. And I'm not being cynical. I'm being factual about these things. I, 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 I love our country. I love that I live here. I love that God placed me here. Uh, but uh, I don't love, you know, this place more than I love our brothers and sisters and Thailand, and Africa, and Australia, and, you know, we're not better, but we're blessed to be here. Uh, but we need, we need a revival, don't we? We need an awakening. We need it in the church, especially in the church. Um, you know, when the believers really want to see God move, we'll pack out prayer meetings. Ah, I really believe in God, you know, all this stuff, and, you know, all of my social media posts prove it. And God says, all right that I want you to come and pray. Well, I can't find time for that. We need to pray. Jesus was a man of prayer. He rose before the sun would rise every day, didn't he? Because he knew the power of prayer. We, we need to pray. So let's, let's take a moment, just to maybe 30 seconds to pray silently, and then I'll pray. Lord, we thank you that you're the rock of our salvation. You're the hope of our salvation. You're the way of our salvation. 
We thank you that if we are saved, it's because you've saved us by grace. Thank you for cleansing us. Cleanse us again this morning. Lord, we're full of iniquity and sin, more than we even know. Cleanse us. Cleanse our country. Call it to repentance. Call your church first and foremost. In this room, Lord, may we surrender all to Jesus. Deliver us, Lord. And Lord, make a way of escape. For Lord, if we continue, there will be judgment for so many things. And Lord, we, we know that you and you alone will provide the forgiveness, the peace, and the joy that comes from your throne. We ask for a revival in our own hearts, in our families, repairs, restoration, cleansing, forgiveness. Lord, um, putting pieces back together. And Lord, we pray that you would do that in this room and outside these four walls. In our nation, in all the nations of the world, please pour out an awakening and a revival. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Turn with me to two places. Colossians chapter 3 and John 13. Colossians chapter 3 and John 13. The first is in Colossians 3 verse 16. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and we can put one in your hand. Can we see that one hand? A couple of hands. Any more hands? Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So there's that daily work of the word. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. God wants us to sing. It starts in our heart. Over in the book of John, John chapter 13, you know this passage, it was the night of Jesus' betrayal, which we'll look at in communion just shortly. Starting verse 12, so when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. What an example. Can you imagine Jesus washing your feet? Literally. Not figuratively. Literally taking off. The, you know, that, that was reserved for the lowest servant in the house. Even if there was ten servants, it was the lowest ranking servant of all the servants that got that job. Guests would come. The lowest of the low. Jesus took the lowest place, and he wants us to learn from him. Let's pray. Lord, we need you to teach us this morning. Lord, I need your wisdom. I need your strength. 
We need, Lord, your Holy Spirit to teach us. Open our eyes. Teach us to sing. Teach us to serve. But, Lord, of a pure heart. I ask for your help. I ask for your anointing. Lord, remove me once again, as it were, that we might hear from Jesus. Thank you for my brothers and sisters. Remove every hindrance in this room that would keep us from hearing from you. Calm our hearts. Fill us with your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was reading uh, earlier this week for about two days in um, Matthew chapter 27 and also move this for a second. Matthew 27, Matthew 28, and it was Jesus' interrogation before Pilate. His silence. Remember his silence? His sadness in the face of thousands chanting, crucify him, crucify him. His humiliation as the Roman soldiers beat him, as they mocked him, as they spit in his face. And then his subsequent murder as he endured the indescribable agony of death by crucifixion. I can't even imagine it. Finally, him crying out to his father, why have you forsaken me? He cried out with a loud voice before giving up his spirit. He gave up his spirit. No one took it. He gave it up. And I know, as do you, you know this whole scene. But as always, I can't wait to get to chapter 28. I'm reading chapter 27, and it's tough sledding. I can't wait to get to chapter 28. Because I know in just three days, just three days, he literally destroys the power of death and rises as Savior, as our Master, as our King of kings and Lord of lords. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? And by the way, I'm not waiting till Easter to get fired up about this. <clears throat> you shouldn't either. To rejoice in his victory. To let it stir up our spirit within us. We need to meditate on these things. And that's partly what we'll do uh, when we take of the Lord's Supper, we take of communion. We want to stir up and remember what he's done for us. But as disciples of Jesus, when we think about that, we think about what he's done and what he's conquered, we've been called to sing. We've been called to praise our Savior and to humble him, joy, humble ourselves before him joyfully and diligently. And understand that every single thing that Jesus did at Calvary and he walked out of that empty tomb, all of that is everything we need to willingly sing to him and serve him. Do you agree with that? That that was enough. Everything he did, I mean, it's an understatement, is enough to sing to him and to serve him. It's all the motivation and all the inspiration we actually need. You don't need me. You don't need some pastor on the radio. In a sense, you only need to know what Jesus did. It's all the motivation we need. If you were trapped on an island, and there's nobody there to serve, you want to serve? 
I want to bring a loaf of bread. There's nobody to serve. There's nobody to assist. There's nobody to help. You're just there alone. You could still reread the story of the cross and the empty tomb, or at least meditate on it if you didn't have a Bible with you. And that would cause you to continually resurrender, continually resurrender, continually resurrender. And it could cause you, even there, to serve him. You know you could serve God on an island by yourself? John did it. He served him how? In worship and in prayer and in just... He said, I was in the spirit of the Lord's day. John did his own little church service. Here's the church of John, me, me, myself, and I. That he served God. In prayer and in praise. And for no other reason, why? Because he's worthy. If you're taking notes... This time, this morning, our study, our Be Lights uh, Discipleship Series, the focus this morning is we worship in song and we're thankful in serving. We worship in song, but we're thankful in serving. For 99.99999% of us in the body of Christ, we're not stranded on an island, are we? We're not stranded on an island. We kind of wish we were sometimes, but we're not. um, We're not. In most cases, if we are isolated, it's because of some area of defeat or weakness in our life. If we're isolated, if we feel isolated. Or, and this happens a lot too, it's just out of disobedience. And Jesus can help with both, can't he? He can help with both. But he saved us to be worshipers in song and in service. Alone, when you're all by yourself, and together as a group, as your family, as this larger church family. To be a, 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 a personal worshiper, but also a family worshiper. To be worshiping disciples. In fact, our discipleship walk in itself is worship. Look at the words of Jesus here, John chapter 4, speaking to the woman at the well. He said, but the hour is coming, and now is, when the what? True worshipers, indicating there's also false worshipers. You don't want to be a false one. The true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. A lot of churches today aren't even teaching truth, aren't singing truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. Jesus made this clear. God was and is raising up a worship team. Isn't that great? He said, God the Father sent me to raise up a worship team. Not just in song, but in unified lives. That our lives would be a melody. Our lives would be a worship song, if you will. We'll look at this more Next week, when we look at faith and teamwork, that God wants to weave us together like a symphony, you know, when it's all in harmony. Let's look at the discipleship principles for today, once again, as we statements that we'll be focused on in this study. We gather to worship and praise God in song. We believe that our entire lives should be an act of worship and praise But we recognize that down through the ages, God does a special work among his people as they gather together 
and offer the sacrifice of praise and worship. So we make time to give God glory and song and enjoy and using the gifts and talents he has given. And then we statement again, these all end up on our website. People can read them. Number eight. So we're, look at seven and eight today. We are grateful and thankful God has called us to serve. We believe that Jesus set the model. We just read it. In serving and washing feet. And it's called every believer, not some, every believer to follow him in service. So we use our time, strength, gifts to lighten the load of others and by finding those places of need to fill gaps, to strengthen others, and to build up the church that Jesus established. He's the rock. He established it. Do you agree with those statements? I mean, these are fundamental things that, that all the 12 were taught this again and again and again as Jesus ministered to them. And let's understand that these, these two discipleship principles and all the others are a blessing that will strengthen us, not wear us out. They'll strengthen us. Because a lot of times people look at that, I see work. I see, I see work. I see a servant. Jesus, remember, he girded his waist. He was ready to get to work. But these things will strengthen us, not wear us out. We need to maintain and invest, but we need faith to maintain and invest in these things. Amen? You need faith. Why did you sing this morning? Because you really believe that God is honored by it. That's faith. I know it's a tiny thing of faith, not near as big a step of faith as you can take, but we sing by faith. We serve by faith. And we need grace. We need a lot of grace. We need a whole lot of grace. Our worship and our work, is de- it's a dependence on God. It requires faith. It dis- it ne- it, we need, we have a necessity for his grace. Look at this quote by Warren Wearsby. One of the first steps we must take before our service can be used of God is to confess our bankruptcy and receive, by faith, the grace we need for acceptable service. We want to serve God. We need to serve God. We need his grace to help serve God. Amen? I mean, you're getting grace if you're breathing right now. If you're breathing right now. I think we all are. Good, good. It's his grace. We need his grace. We need his grace um, to serve him, but also to sing. We don't bring anything of value to our worship, do we? We don't bring anything of value. Remember, Abraham prayed, Lord, I'm just dust and ashes. That's what he prayed when he was interceding for Sodom. Rather, we don't bring anything of value. Rather, he makes it of value. He makes it of value. It's all grace to sing to the Lord, to have a song spring forth in our life, but it's all grace to serve him. And then it's activated by what? The Holy Spirit that lives within us. It's not that there's anything. If there was no Holy Spirit, you would abandon God in a New York second. The Holy Spirit says, More grace, more grace, more grace, more grace. I'm propelling you. I'm compelling you. I'm leading you. I'm giving you wisdom. I'm giving you strength. And it's not 
because of grace and because of the work of the Spirit, it's not burdensome that we have to sing to Jesus and serve Jesus. Frankly, we need to do that. Our spirit needs to sing and serve. It needs it whether you know it or not. And not only do we need it, we get to. It's a blessing to. It's a privilege. Here are all the reasons we deserve to serve Jesus. I listed them all out for you. All the reasons that we get to serve Jesus. All the reasons we personally bring to the table. A big fat zero. It's his love. It's his mercy. He's worthy. He's commanded it. And yet these things are in fact gifts to us. It's a gift to worship. It's a gift to serve. Let's take a look at our first one this morning, worship and song. The call to worship God in song is not a new commandment that came with the coming of Jesus. Jesus didn't come and say, hey, let me tell you something you've never heard, disciples. God wants you to sing praises to him. They had been doing that since they were little, if they were Jewish boys, and most, again, they, they grew up in these Jewish homes and the communities and the synagogue. It wasn't new. It was a continued command that's found throughout the scriptures. Paul even wrote, check this out, Paul even wrote in 1 Corinthians 14, 15, I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with understanding. But look at the connection to singing here. I will sing with the Spirit. And I will sing with understanding. Paul was teaching the church, you need to be people of prayer, but you need to be people that sing to the Lord too. You'll sing with the Spirit. You'll pray with the Spirit. They're they're of equal importance in the sense that the Spirit leads us to pray and the Spirit leads us to sing to the Lord. No one can say they have a prayer life but not a song life. Nobody can say that, or should be able to say. I know people do, and that's why we're doing this discipleship series. God is saying, if you thought that, you were wrong. And God says, I'm not mad at you about it. That's why I put it in the Word. That's why I've called pastors and teachers to remind you, this is part of your life in Jesus. To sing to him. The Word, prayer, the Spirit of God, all these things prompt singing. He'll put a new song in our lips, the Scriptures tell us. The people of God... The true worshipers have been called to worship in song and praise under the law of Moses. True. They had to sing then. They were called to sing under the law of Moses. Remember, as soon as they got through the Red Sea, what did Moses' sister do? She wrote a worship song. As soon as they got to the other side, first thing she did, write a worship song. They even danced a little bit. Don't tell anyone here. You know, a little bit of that came out. And then under the new covenant, Jesus says the same to the disciples. So we have the same God, the same worthiness of God, and our same need. We were created to worship. We were created to worship. Remember Satan, the fallen angel? He was very musical, and he still is in in, in really helping the world worship in a different way. He was very musical. That's why he's so involved in the music industry leading people to a totally different type of worship, an idolatrous worship. Because the angels were created to sing, we were created to sing, and God says, but I want you to do it in spirit, like Paul said, with the mind of the spirit. The call to sing and to worship, it's like a neon sign in Scripture. 
I don't know how many times you've read the Bible or read through the Bible or, or even the Psalms or certain places, but the call to sing is like a neon sign. It would be really hard to miss. Did you know that the Bible contains more than 400 references to singing? More than 400 and 50 specific commands to sing. That's more than one a day for you in, the, in, a, in a month. The whole year's covered with more than 400. God inhabits the praises of his people. And he calls us to sing personally and as we gather, as we did this morning, as we'll do again near the close of our service. Uh, we read one of these verses already. And here, here's the one we read. Again, looking at it on the screen so you can see it together. That the word of Christ, so the word is very connected to worship and song uh, because the word is what uh, we sing the words of God. We just don't sing anything, right? We sing things that God wrote about, that God tells us about himself and the psalms and the hymns, the spiritual songs. Singing with grace to the Lord in our hearts. It, it, we need this singing, it... it Needs grace to happen, but it also cultivates grace in our life. So it multiplies grace. Paul says nearly the same thing in Ephesians 5.19 and speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and, and spiritual songs, almost the exact same wording to close each verse. Singing and making melody and your heart to the Lord. If you can't carry a tune, at least in your heart you can. According to this, if, you don't have, if you're tone deaf, in your heart you can actually still make melody. Isn't that great to know? <laughs> that there's still that heart level work that worship is doing. And as we've done in previous weeks, uh, let's look at some of the reasons why we sing and how God uses it. Now, once again, this is not the full exhaustive list. There, there, I could have done more than 12. I could have done less than 12. But again, I'll, I've been posting these. These have been going on to the internal uh, Facebook page, and I'll put these out there again, and eventually they'll be uh, on the website as well. But um, take a look at these 12. I can't go through every single one of them, but it gives you a list of things, reasons we sing and worship. So if you've ever wondered, where did all the singing in church come from? Is this just stuff that uh, people made up in AD 50? Or is, it, is, this, is this really in the Bible? Uh, why do we do this? You know, I can understand guys singing at the bar, but why at church? You know, you know that kind of thing. You ever notice that um, uh, singing does kind of break out in other places? You ever notice like soccer games and World Cup? They're all uh, swaying back and forth and singing their national anthem and everything like that. I mean, really, God does put the desire to sing and worship in people. And you, you see it cultures all over the world. But, but we're looking specifically at what, what does God want from the disciples, you and I? What does he want us to learn from? to walk in as it's related to singing. So, what, number one, God commands it. We could stop right there, right? God commands it. He commands it numerous times, so many times. Psalm 30, verse 4 is a good one. Uh, Sing praises to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. So, if you're a saint, you've been called to sing. Give Praise, or sing praise the Lord, you saints of his. And the saints cover 
Old Testament saints and New Testament disciples. If you're a saint, we're called to sing and give thanks. It honors and glorifies God. He's forever worthy. He's forever worthy. Jesus sang with his disciples. And right there, and I know it was part of the, uh, the, the, the Passover anyway, where they close in a hymn or a psalm. But remember, right there when he was done with the Lord's Supper, they sang a hymn, then they went to the Mount of Olives. Now, that wasn't the only time. We know there would have been other times as well. What I think is amazing, if you jot these two scriptures down, Isaiah 5, 1, and we already went through this passage in Hebrews, but just as a way of reminder, uh, Hebrews 2.12, if you're taking notes, Isaiah 5.1, it appears that God sings over his beloved son. It doesn't say his son there, it says my beloved. And, it, and I even think when Jesus comes and tells the parable of the vineyard that he's ref- referencing back that the father has given the son a vineyard to plant. Go read again, Isaiah 5, verse 1, and it appears that the Father is saying, I sing over my beloved, which, I, which would be Jesus. It's all capitalized here. It should be capitalized. The beloved should be capitalized in Isaiah 5, 1. Then over in Hebrews 12, 2, I don't have time to turn there, but remember in Hebrews 12, 2, um, actually, maybe I can, because it actually, I'll read it to you. In Hebrews it's 2.12, sorry. If I said 12.2, I apologize. You're at 12.2, you're like, I'm not seeing this. Uh, Hebrews 2.12, uh, Hebrews 2.12 says, he is not ashamed to call them, uh, the middle part of verse 11, he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. The I is Jesus. I will sing praise to you, capital U. So we see Jesus singing to the Father, and we see in Isaiah the Father singing over the Son. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Now, I don't know what part of that we'll see or understand or experience, but at least in the Godhead, there's a song within the Godhead itself to be understood. And Jesus sang with his disciples to demonstrate Emmanuel, God with us. What we see Jesus do on the earth is always a demonstration. Remember, he was setting up what his relationship with God the Father is and what he wants us to understand and adopt in his character. Uh, Israel and the early church sang. It was vital to worship. Uh, number five, it ignites our love for the Lord, stirs our hearts. And in 1 Chronicles 16, 9, it says, Sing to the Lord, talk of his wondrous works. You start talking about God, the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace, right? Start talking about the things of the Lord. You ever get tired about talking about the things of this world? You ever just got, get tired of the news? You ever get tired of your own self? Yeah, all the time. You ever get tired of talking about yourself and about your problems? I do. God says, stop. I told you to talk about my wondrous works. You can talk about yourself and all your insecurities and all of your problems and all of your faults all day long, and there'd still be a lot left. So God says, at some point, stop it and talk about me. And then if you can't talk, just sing it. Because it actually says, sing the Lord and talk about his wonders for it. But it was David wrote a lot of psalms so he could actually talk about God because he's too, he was too burdened to, to talk it out, but he could sing it out. You ever been there 
where it's hard to like get a prayer, but you can turn on a certain word and then you can sing it. Um, it's practice for heaven. We're going to be singing in heaven. You can see this in the book of Revelation. Um, I, have to, I have to fix that verse there, but uh, I thought I had fit, I did put it. I, did, I think I did fix it on there, not in my notes. Let's see. Yes, I did. Thank you. <laughs> Just not in my notes. Um, number seven, it brings, it brings hope and joy and peace. It lifts our spirits to sing to the Lord. Have you ever experienced this? When you're feeling pretty miserable and you start singing to the Lord and he changes the direction of your internal vision. In Psalm 9, 2, it says, I will be glad and rejoice in you. Remember we just read in Ephesians, to make melody in your hearts. Because usually in our hearts, when we're unsettled, it's not melody, it's a mess. Reminds us of grace. It's a reflective work in our heart. It combats the enemy and aids in victory. Isn't that great? We have a scripture for this too. And it's found in 2 Chronicles 20, uh, 20.22. Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. God says, because you started singing, I set ambushes against the enemy. Some of you need to sing this week when you are under attack. God says, I'll set ambushes if you'll sing to me. I'll stir your heart. I'll, I'll give you a reason to have joy. And then this 12th one, exercises gifts and service. You know, some of you have spiritual gifts, but you also have talents and music, and you're, they're to be used for the Lord. In the Old Testament, did you know there were anointed singers? Their whole job was to sing the Lord. They had choirs. We didn't make up choirs. They were already in the Bible. We actually just follow what we see. There's choirs uh, in the nation of Israel. The, the priests would have choirs of singers. It's the same in the New Covenant. The musical gifts are to be used to build up, to worship God, but also to build up and strengthen one another. And when you use your gifts and talents... It's not to get a spotlight on you. It's to get a spotlight on God. Amen? Amen. To use those gifts and talents. Like prayer and every other disciple's command, we're to be growing in this by his grace. And so if you're, say, I, I'm, I'm committed, committed to being a disciple. I didn't know God has this much care about me becoming a singer or a true worshiper. Yes, he does. And so you, you need to find a uh, time that you sing so, Lord, there's times where I'll go out and I'll just be up on one of my prayer walks or runs where I do not, about 90% of the time I don't take a device. Sometimes I do, about 10, 15% of the time I'll take and listen to worship. But about 85, 90% of the time I don't, and I will just, in prayer, but I'll also sing to the Lord. He'll just, songs will come. Some of them I'll get a song from 20 years ago I hadn't thought of. And it'll just come, and I can't remember it by the time I get back to the house. But I'll, so God, it's prayer, but it's also in song. But it's activated by the word. You have to be in the word first, and all of these things will come together. Now, that same grace to be a singer to the Lord, not necessarily in worship team, but a singer in your life, and as we come together, is necessary for service. And we'll look at this last one this morning. Thankful 
in serving. We are thankful in serving, Lord. Um, we want to be thankful in serving, Lord. I hope that you desire to not just serve, but to do it with a, a heart of gratitude. We're not only called to serve, but to do so diligently and joyfully. Let me give you, let me give you a, a scene you might have experienced in your life. Have you ever gone to a restaurant? Follow me with this. you ever gone to a restaurant and you just experience bad customer service all the way around. It started when you walked in. You could tell the hostess had no desire to be there that day. And they, they, all right, here's your table. You know, they, they find your table. Then the waiter and waitress finally comes to the table. You're looking around for like 10 minutes. Does anyone work here? Is anyone in this section? Because I see people getting served in that section, but not in the section that I got sat in. The waiter or waitress finally comes, and you get the feeling that like the hostess, they don't want to be there either. They're a little short. They're a little rude. They're a little annoyed you're there. You're like, the whole reason you're open is for me to tip you. But anyway, uh, they have no opinion on the menu. You ask for feedback? I've never tried any of that. The two things that they finally say they've tried, I don't even like that kind of food. Then the food takes a long time to get there. When it finally arrives, you have no silverware. And they're, they're gone again. You're looking around. There's none on the tables on either side of you, so you can't even just grab your own. We all know how to do that. Grab the salt and pepper. That, none of it's there. They finally come back. Turns out the food's pretty good, though. But the overall experience, that's a different story. The attitude of our service, whatever and wherever it is, always matters, doesn't it? The attitude of our service matters. By the way, as believers, I want to say one other thing about this. As believers, I gave you that story because we can all relate to it. We've all had this experience. We've all had the, the wait staff that was out till 3 in the morning doesn't want to be there. And they're back. But we can, as believers, actually overlook those scenarios. Just a, this is just a side note for discipleship here. And we can actually minister to them instead of whining about how bad everything was. Because Jesus loves people more than he loves getting great service. I can't count how many times I've had things like that happen, and the Lord reminds me, first of all, if you even get to eat today, you didn't deserve it. So instead of you being all annoyed, I want you to minister to this person. And I can't count how many times I've actually asked a couple of questions, and all of a sudden, the waiter or waitress does a 180, and I get the most glowing service you could possibly get. Or I just simply will ask them a question about them, their life, what's going on, and then, and then all of a sudden, they'll wait hand and foot. And then I get a chance to say, can there something I can pray with you about? Things like that. So that's a side, that's a side, that was extra bonus material. But, um, <laughs> but Jesus, he saved us from hell. He saved us from judgment. He's redeemed us. And our lives as worshipers are to be lived out in service to him and to others. We're the servant at the restaurant, not the waiter or waitress. In that sense, 
wherever we go. We are the servant. We're the lowest in the house as Jesus was the one washing the feet. And he's chosen to make us vessels to minister first to himself. The priest always ministered first to God, then the people. That's why the, the, the smoke of the incense where it went where? Up into heaven. First to God, then to people. To one another. And then beyond one another, inside the family or the body of Christ, outside to a lost and hurting world. It's not easy to serve God. Can I get an amen on that? It's not easy to serve. It's not easy to serve people, especially when they don't want to be served. Or when they have so many problems, you don't know where to start. It's not easy to serve. It's not without some fits and starts and even failures. We learn a lot from failures, though, thankfully. But it's a blessing. And Jesus has every single thing we need to be blessed in serving and to be a blessing in doing so. Because otherwise, you and I don't bring it... If Jesus makes us a blessing, it's only because of him. Because remember, we're only dust and ashes. If I've ever imparted anything good to you, it's only because of God. And vice versa, if you've imparted anything good to me, it's only because of God. He has to breathe. Remember Adam and Eve, he breathed into them. Otherwise, they're no different than a piece of paper. So God is the one that makes our service of value. It's through faith and by his spirit. Um, I love this quote, or two of them actually from Charles Spurgeon. This is where God wants us to arrive in our maturity as a disciple. It is heaven to serve Jesus. If he bids us carry a burden, he carries it also. If there's anything gracious, generous, kind, and tender, and super abundant in love, you will always find it in him. God deserves to be served. With all the energy of which we are capable, if the Spirit of God is worth anything, it is worth everything. If God's worth anything, he's worth everything. And we know he's worth everything. And he's the one that will give us the strength to do this. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, again, as we're God's waiters and waitresses, we're to do everything in everything, give Thanks. We're to do it with a heart of thanks. We're to serve with a heart of thanks. Whether it's to give a cup of water in his name, whether it's to sing on the worship team, whether it's to serve in children's ministry, whether it's go to Hilliard House, whether it's to go serve and share the gospel at Bon Air, whether it's to lay down mulch outside, it's to cut the grass, greet people in the parking lot, to do it with a thankful spirit. Thank you, Lord, that you have allowed me to be a part of your kingdom, to be a part of your work, to go minister to someone at the hospital, to pray over someone who's hurting. We could go on and on. All of these things, we're going to do it with a heart of thanks. And, and that takes some intentionality. Say, Lord, help me to maintain a thankful heart. For this is the what? Will of God. People are like, I wonder what the will of God is for my life. Well, start with being thankful. And you have started on the board game to get around, you know? Start with being thankful. It's a great place to start. That praise and worship, that melody uh, on our lips and our hearts, but also should come out with hands. In other words, hands that do something. You know, James tells us that faith, uh, faith without works is what? Dead. Dead. You know, the world's watching. 
You know, uh, one of the reasons that we, that we, um, we, we know that God hates the killing of unborn children, unborn babies. But we're trying to do things. We're trying to minister to single parents. Not just talk about it. Do it. Actually, minister. Some of you work at crisis pregnancy centers. These are things that we're not just saying, well, God, you know, it's a really real shame all this is happening. But actually take our hand and say, Lord, what can we do? Jesus didn't just look at the multitude and say, how y'all doing out there? See ya. He fed them. He loved them. He preached to them. Faith without works is dead. I mean, we can't say that we care about these things. Oh, Lord, we care about the lost, but we don't. We talked about that last week with the gospel. That we care enough to reach out. So God wants us all to serve. Find a place on the wall to serve him. And that's just one place. Most servants have to wear, wouldn't you agree if you were a servant in ancient times, you wore multiple hats? I'm not only a pastor. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a neighbor. I'm a son. I have to serve in a lot of different capacities, just like you do. So, you know, God says, don't pigeonhole yourself. Let me give you your specific areas of calling. But, but no one should say, uh, as far as putting away tables, that's not my calling. You know, we, when we call, everyone, everyone put your hands to plow. That is just, just fundamental, Jesus, how can I be of help? There's lots of things that God calls us to do that are, that are not our calling. If you see trash outside, you don't have to say, I'm going to wait for a deacon to come by and grab this. <laughs> I wonder when the maintenance people, you can do it. Service. Just, uh, we just have a servant's heart. Again, we'll take a look at some of these things together. Um, this one I titled a little bit differently, Willie Serving uh, with Gratitude and the Imperative. In other words, that God has made this clear that it's mandated for all of us, but the impact of it all. And so once again, I've got 12. We could have had more, could have had less. But let's take a look at these 12, and then we'll come to a close with these. Uh, once again, it's commanded. Jesus commands it. Jesus himself says... In John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Well, we already know. He said, as I have served and washing feet, you now need to go serve. That was a command. It wasn't a request. They say, hey, if you kind of thought this was a really cool demonstration, try it sometime. He was saying, I want you to follow my lead. And we see that in the second one, Jesus selflessly served. We learn to lead by following. In a sense, God wants everyone in this room to become a leader. But you can't be a good leader unless you're a good follower of one who can be trusted. In this case, God himself can be trusted. We follow God and we learn to lead. You learn to lead moms and dads as you follow the Lord. You learn to lead in a small group. You learn to lead in you know, some ministry. Or you learn to lead over there in the modulars with kids that are not easy, always easy to lead. Sometimes they're like herding uh, than leading, you know, that kind of thing. But we learn. Remember, Jesus said, I've given this example that you should also do. Uh, number three, it pleases God. Don't we want to please God? Don't we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? I'm not trying to earn my way to heaven. That was already purchased at the cross. Thank God I don't have to earn his favor. He doesn't need me up here today. He doesn't need you sitting there today. He's self-sustaining. But now that he has saved me, 
I said, Lord, I just want to do the best I can. Are you giving God your best? Or are you giving God scraps? Are you giving God the best? Everything that we do should bring him honor and glory to please him. Uh, number four, the Father blesses obedient service. Uh, you can read these passages later, but the Father himself will bless our service if it's genuine, if it's sincere. It doesn't have to be perfect, thankfully, but it has to be sincere. It has to be authentic. And that's where the Holy Spirit vets that, where the Holy Spirit can say, no, 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 right now, this is not authentic. This is all about you. And then we check ourselves, we get it right, say, Lord, forgive me, this is all about you. He'll bless that obedience. But it has to be, we have to obey. Say, Lord, I don't really, there's, how many of you have had to do something you didn't want to do? You just flat out did not want to do it at all. This is, this is a nonstop thing in the Christian life. There are many times that I have not wanted to come preach on a Sunday morning where I've been wiped out, didn't feel good, didn't, uh, didn't just for a variety of reasons. Or I didn't want to go do a hospital visit. Or I didn't want to go do this. Or I didn't even want to stop and pray. You ever wanted to not stop and pray? You knew you should. You knew everything depended on it, and you still didn't want to do it because the movie was good you were watching. <laughs> Such an important thing, right? I mean, we're just being honest. So, but the Lord says, look, you're so fleshly. I still love you anyway. You're so fleshly that you know what you should do, and you still don't want to do it. You know you've got to go to work. And you're whining all the way on I-95, all the way, you know, the, uh, the Super Bowl last night, I watched too much of it. This is your life tomorrow, by the way. You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm prophesying of what you're going to feel. No, kidding. Uh, hopefully you're not that. But again, when you do think, you can actually laugh and say, Lord, I am thinking that. Stop. Help me to stop that. Obedience. Father, bless it. We become more like Jesus, number five. We become more giving and gracious. Don't you want to become more gracious? Jesus was so gracious with people. You know, if I was him, I would have incinerated lots of people <laughs> in the ministry. Every time I got a really dumb question from the scribes and Pharisees, which they had asked 15 other ways, I would have said, zap! <laughs> but he was always gracious with them. Even when he told them he was a they were a brood of vipers, that was actually gracious. You and I can't do that, by the way. You're not Jesus. Don't go trying this out everywhere you go. You brood of vipers, you. Uh, but if you're God, you can say that because everyone is a snake compared to God. But he was always so gracious with people, and he wants us to become more gracious, more giving. He gave us every drop of blood. Anything. We're never going to reach that standard, but we can become a whole lot more giving, a lot more gracious. Our love grows. We'll become more loving. Compassion. Jesus had compassion for the multitudes. We'll start to have compassion for people. We won't just look on at situations and say, somebody else will fix it. We'll say, Lord, here am I, send me. What can I do? Well, uh, what if you say, well, all I've got is a few fish and loaves. Didn't he already do something like that? So, Lord, what if I, all I got is five bucks. What's that going to do? God says, let me show you. Start there. Our relationships deepen. You know, when we serve one another, we actually build friendships. Relationships. You serve someone here a little while, they're going to start to say, 
wow, I, I didn't know that you cared. And the relationship built. But husbands, you start serving your wife, things are going to change. Wives, you start serving your husband, things are going to change. Compassion for one another. The relationship will deepen. This works in marriage, but it works in the larger body of Christ. It works everywhere. Everywhere you say, I'm going to do these things. Um, others are strengthened and helped. Lives are built up. God says, as you serve one another, people are going to come out of things they never thought they could come out of. They're going to become productive in areas that they previously said, I could never really get this area right. And God says, you just need someone to put an arm around you. A little bit of help, a little bit of encouragement. We depend more on the Spirit. How many of you really know you're really weak? The older you get, you really figure this out. You're young, you can conquer the earth. You're like Atlas guy, you know, you can carry the whole world. You get older, you realize, wow, it's not just Tylenol keeping me going here. I, got, I really need, I really need the Holy Spirit. But, but you still are called to serve. And when you're still called to serve, as your body's breaking down, or things aren't going well, or there's trials and tribulations in your life, and you still have to put one foot in, the, in front of the other, you say, Lord, I need your strength. All things through Christ who strengthens me. I need your Holy Spirit. We depend more on the Spirit. I'm more dependent on the Lord at 51 than I was at 31. I can tell you it's not even close not even close. When I get to 61, I'll be more dependent than 51. Uh, our joy is increased. And in the midst of all this, as we're kind of becoming more dependent on the Lord, our joy increases. You know, it's amazing when I meet people that are like really seasoned saints. I meet someone who's like 85. They've been serving the Lord for years. And they can't, they can't run anymore. They can't do certain things anymore. And yet they're they, they can't do all the things that young people do, and yet they're full of joy. How does that work? It works because they've been obedient to serve God in any way they can. And by the way, their service areas change. They can't lug toddlers around anymore. That's for other people to do. But the areas that they can serve, they sometimes, like, like D.L. Moody said, this girl in a bed prayed him across the Atlantic. He said, I know for a fact she prayed me over the Atlantic and prayed the whole revival in. She served God from her bed, but she was full of joy. Young girl in London, she wasn't an elderly person, she just was terminally sick, just unable to get out of the bed. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Um... When, when I'm laboring um, or working for things, like you know, yesterday was my birthday, uh, I was working for a few hours on this today, and I just said, Lord, I thank you that I get to labor for things that matter to you. It doesn't matter if it matters to me. It matters to you, and it matters in investing in people's lives. Um, remember, joy is Jesus, others, and you last. Jesus, others, and you last. That acronym's been around a long time, and it's still true to this day. Uh, I don't know if you know this. Many teens today, many teens in America, and we have the worst problem with this in all the world. Many teens in America are suffering today anxiety and depression at alarming rates, the same that is, is equivalent to psychiatric patients in the 50s, the average teen. Um, alarming rates today in our country, and one of the main reasons, and even psychologists that are not Christians are figuring this out, they're seeing it, they're saying it's because teens today 
thought, think, and they've been taught by their elders in society that their whole life is a pursuit of fun. And this constant pursuit of fun, relaxation, and ease is actually loading their mind up. And, of course, the uh, device and everything else. But really, it's a blessing to actually work and serve. Even before sin, Adam and Eve were working and tending the garden. It was not a curse to work for God. Sin came later, then came thorns and thistles. But to serve was a blessing even before sin. Did you know you'll serve Jesus still in heaven? You're not going to sit around like on a cloud eating marshmallows or something. <laughs> as best I can tell from the scriptures. I don't know exactly, but you're going to cast crowns before him. There's, there's, there's an effort there. You're going to sing to the Lord. It, it, you're not going to have someone, an angel dropping grapes in your mouth or something. But in our society, we believe that we, we've, we've tried to, that, that song, years, Everybody's Working for the Weekend, we've gotten in our heads that we do everything we can to, to finally rest and watch TV. We do everything we finally can to actually chill out. And God says, I want you to enjoy the work part. To while you're laboring, and I've had people out here, we've served outside, and I've seen men that, you know, came... Not so, maybe a rough week or whatever, start serving together, and all of a sudden their joy comes. We've got to turn the thinking around. Jesus said, This is not a curse that I've caused you to work and serve each other. This will actually change you, and it'll actually be a joy giver, not a joy robber. The constant pursuit of relaxation and fun is a joy robber. That's why so many people that have it all end up at the Betty Ford clinics. All these different things. Last three, we come to a close. Disciples are multiplied. The more we serve, the more God adds. He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest. He brings in more labors. The work of the gospel goes forth. Every little thing matters. Someone out there changing diapers right now is contributing to the work of the gospel because why? Because they're changing diapers. You're hearing the word. You might hear the word and go do something this week you wouldn't have otherwise done. That's how it all works. If they weren't doing their part, you wouldn't hear and you wouldn't go do your part. It all matters. Someone cuts the grass, how does that matter? Well, some visitor comes and says, well, at least they keep the place somewhat decent. I'll go in. Because it's not real good looking out there. I get it. We got a pretty ugly building and it looks nice on the inside, but uh, we try and shock people. And they go, wow, it's pretty nice in here. I thought, I thought it was like a shed on the outside. You know? But um, we'll, eventually we'll fix that too. But all of it matters. And the last thing, come to a close with this, we learn humility and patience. We don't like to learn humility and patience, do we? We like other people to learn humility and patience. <laughs> we like them to be patient with us. We don't want that. We, we, anything we do, we think they should be patient about it. But it's not done work. God says, I want you to learn patience, and I want you to learn humility. You know, when you serve, it means you're going to have to go lower and lower and lower. Scriptures say to consider others better than yourself. You have to learn to persevere. Did you know that just when you start serving an area, someone's going to criticize what you did? You're going to go serve in children's ministry. Some parent's going to complain. Say, oh, I don't like the way you did this. Or that. And you can't respond with the same tone. <laughs> Someone won't appreciate your hard work. You know, you'll actually fail at something and want to give up. 
Some things will take forever and feel like they're never going to work right. This is all part. Jesus said, I, I'm going to let you get some headwind. The headwinds aren't so bad. When I go running sometimes, when I run down the hill, it feels pretty good. Running up the hill is not so great. But what I found is when, when there's times when my legs are about to fall out from under me and I'm running into wind, it actually, I found, it re-strengthens me because you, the wind kind of, kind of builds you back up. And so God uses, sometimes he'll use people that are your critics to help you say, God says, you know, they're actually right. You are kind of rude. God will just, he'll just be that brutally honest with you and say, they're right. You're a little short. And you didn't even pray before you went to that meeting. That's why you were that way. And they, and they called you out on it. And oh, by the way, you, you failed at that. Well, you didn't put much effort into it either. All these things. But God says, I'm, I still love you. Humble yourself. Go lower. Try it again with the right spirit. Do it with a heart of thanksgiving, and I'm going to bless it. Amen? And we all need to hear that. We live in a day and age, no one's telling young people this stuff anymore. You're doing great. You're doing great. You're doing great. No, you're not. (laughs) You're not doing great. You're loved. We love you, but this is not going to help you. This is what, that's why I talk to young people. I'll tell them if we're teenagers or something, I hear what you're saying, but that's not going to help you. Let me tell you what God wants you to know. You still love people. You're not beating them up, but you're building them up. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we just thank you again for your manifold grace and the work of your spirit. Lord, we need to remember, as as your servant Warren Wearsby said, Lord, we're bankrupt. We need your help, but you promised it. And Lord, we pray that we would embrace this call to be singers and worshipers, but also servants of the living God. You're worthy of it. You've commanded it. It's for your glory and our good. And I pray that these disciples, all of us, Lord, will grow in this grace. And Lord, this week, when we're tempted to complain, we'll sing. When we're tempted to shrink back, we'll say, Lord, how do you want me to serve? How do you want me to go lower? Where do you want me to Put my hand to the plow for all these things are for you, your glory, your kingdom, and the building up of your church and the saving of lost souls. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.